Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast for another chat, Larry. A couple of days before football returns, finally. But it was good to have a chat back at the pub the other day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, and I always enjoy being at the pub, you know that, for the drinks. But, you know, it helps tolerate you as well. But, of course, man, being at the pub is what it's about. That's where you enjoy watching football the most. So hopefully that'll be the next evolution. But, you know, in the meantime, let's talk about some football because I'm just about done with these international games. Well, international break, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you see Man United and an international break? Honestly, not a whole bunch. Um, I, I follow I follow United players. I'm keen to see how they go. Like, you look at Dan James, right? Like, he's taking his opportunity and that creates a chatter to say, look at this player, you know, and whether they can do it for United. That, that's really where my interest starts, stops and ends. Um, other than that, not much. But if you're going to throw something, please. Well, the first thing that comes to mind with me, whenever I see an international break on the horizon, I'm just counting the minutes until Mina Rayola or Paul Pogba opens their mouth. And so suddenly it wasn't too long this time. It actually took a little bit longer. It wasn't the first day of the international break. It took about a week into it. But obviously Rayola has opened his mouth and um, look, the circus starts again. We're going to get into his relationship with Haaland in a little bit and the latest on Erling Haaland. But obviously Pogba is the United player, so we'll go into Rayola's comments in regards to that. And again, out of nowhere, not prompted, Rayola calls an interview um, with whoever's a paper in Italy and gets this out. So he says, Pogba has fantastic appeal worldwide. I heard that Man United, I heard from Man United that he's appreciated and also from Solskjaer's side. Today, if somebody asked me, can you find a club for Paul? I could take my nephew of five years and find a club for Paul at a high level. I don't give a F if I never do another play with Man United. I'm not in their hands. I'm independent. Guardiola, I've closed a book on a long time ago. Everybody knows what I think of him. He can say what he thinks of me personally. So forget the Guardiola bit, but what he says in regards to Man United and never doing a play with them again in relation to Paul Pogba as well. Your thoughts? Um, look, I think Mino is Mino. Um, he's. I don't want this to get twisted. He's very like Fergie, and I think that's why there was friction between them. Just very dominant personality type, very set in their ways. And that probably is why they're successful, both of them, in their respective fields. Um, Mino, look, he, he didn't say he wouldn't sign, he wouldn't place a player at United. He said he doesn't care if he places a player at Manchester United again. Um, to be honest, if that's your agent, that's what you want him to say. You, you want him to not take a back step to anyone because you know if he represents you, he will fight tooth and nail to get you the deal you want. He's not there to compromise. He's not there to make friends. He's there to represent his clients to the best of his ability. Do I agree with his approach? Do I think it helps his relationships with elite football clubs? No. But at the end of the day, he's got an elite client group. So as we've said many on many occasions, if you want those players, you need to dance with the devil sometimes. Well, where do you see that? Because it's the latest with Paul Pogba and couple of months ago, we were saying, okay, that's it for Paul Pogba. He's never going to play for Man United again. Get rid of him. He comes back into the team and he's fantastic. Then we're thinking, well, let's give him a new contract. We'll see a future for Paul, Paul Pogba. Now the next international break, Rayola opens up again and it's get Pogba out the door. We don't need him. We don't need that type of personality at the club. So it's back on Paul Pogba is most likely going to leave. Now, we looked at and Juventus is the viable option. Everyone, all the sort of strong reports are that Juventus are most interested but if we have a look at the Juventus situation, can they really afford him? And then if they can't afford him, you're then stuck with Paul Pogba, who doesn't want to beat United, 
but the only place he'll want to be, both he and Riola want to be, is where the most money is, and that's at Man United. So what does Pogba and Rayola want? Maybe Man United is the only club that can give them what they want. I think from Paul Pogba's perspective, he's obviously done with Manchester United and I think he's been done with the club for two years. Um, if he's had his way, I think he would have left. And we saw that in the preseason of 2019. He openly made comments prior to joining the club for the Australia Tour where he said maybe it's time for a new challenge. So... You know, I think COVID has come at an unfortunate time from Pogba's perspective. But I think from United's side, honestly, as good as he is, like I love him as a footballer, but you look at his injury record and, you know, it's something that really doesn't get spoken about. He doesn't spend enough time on the pitch. He really doesn't. The last two seasons, he's probably spent as much time in the dressing room as Phil Jones has. So, you know, his injury record's not there. Has he been good for United? Yes. But has he reached the levels that, we thought we were getting when we paid a, at, at that moment a record transfer fee. I don't think he has. All in all, yeah, he's a good footballer, but I also think he can be replaced. Well, is his replacement? We'll get into the international break in terms of a player who got on the score sheet. I think they won about 44-0, whoever the Netherlands played. So I think every single player in the team scored. But um, Donny van der Beek scored. Now, he's obviously always in the news. Even when he doesn't play, there's this big situation around Donny van der Beek. But I sort of throw back to when we did sign him. It was when we signed him, it was with the impression, or in, especially from the fans' point of view, that Paul Pogba was on the way out. So he thought, okay, Pogba's leaving. We've got that replacement in Donny van der Beek. Obviously, take up very similar positions in the team. Look, sometimes Paul Pogba plays out wide, but ideally, if you start a team from scratch, you'd say they play in a similar type of role. Um, is almost the best thing for Donny van der Beek, if we want to see a future for him, is the best thing for him, Paul Pogba leaving? I think so, yeah. I think you could put them in the same team personally, but I understand Solskjaer not doing it. It's, it's a greater picture. I think Solskjaer obviously plays the pivots he does because of the defence. I think if he had a more solid partnership at the back, he would be more willing to take more risks with Van der Beek, a Pogba and a Bruno midfield, for example. Um, but anyway, that, that's a debate for another day. But I, I definitely, and we've discussed it before, I think Van der Beek would actually, in terms of England at least, I think he'd be more suited to a deeper role because his ability to get on the ball and his passing range, I think that's what United lack when we see Fred and McTominay, for example, in that midfield. He's got the ability to have, he's got good vision, good passing range. And I think I would still like to see United get someone else in, should Pogba leave. It's not enough. I mean, realistically, United should be getting a midfielder even if Pogba stays. Mm. Um, so if, if he does, if the Frenchman does in fact leave, I think you could use that money to get two midfielders. I think United, there's still an argument for a defensive midfielder, which I know we'll talk about. Um, but I think you have to also replace what Pogba brings. Now, is there another player like Paul Pogba in world football? Not like for like, but if you look at the way United's trying to play, I think you can get a player who gets on the ball and has a good passing range and a good energy or a good work rate. I think United could actually improve as a team. Just the last bit on Paul Pogba there, you say, and you've sort of been critical, which I agree, look, both of us praise Paul Pogba a lot, but we're also quite critical, especially in regards to the way this situation comes about. But you look at that and you look when Man United are linked with a player, you know who they're linked with, you know, okay, there's interest in that player and there's a circus that follows that player. With Paul Pogba, the issue is Rayola and Pogba's comments. You don't hear too much from Real Madrid and Juventus saying, this is the player we want, this is the player we want. And you just highlighted all these issues with Paul Pogba. And I just sit here and say, well, do Juventus or Real Madrid really want him? 
Like, because we that they can obviously see all the issues in terms of his inconsistencies, his injuries, the circus that comes with Rayola. And I'm just thinking, there's not too much noise from their end in terms of having them as having Paul Pogba as, as their number one target. So I'm just thinking, okay, we're thinking, okay, Paul Pogba's future's over at United. But I'm starting to think, well, do they really want him? Maybe he is stuck here. Honestly, man, I, I hope he's not. I, I love him. Like, in terms of the playing ability, I think he's fantastic. But he's honestly not worth the headache. I just want to see the end of him now because... And I, I made peace with that when I saw Rayola's comments back in December. Um, it's it's just a circus. It, it doesn't stop. Since Pogba joined United, how, how far into his term back with us did we start before we started hearing rumours of his exit? Six months? Yeah. It's not worth it. It's not worth the headache. Um, I agree with you. I don't think he's a number one target for Real Madrid, Juventus, or any other top European club. Because, he, well, everything we've discussed already, his injury record, his performances, I think Pogba needs a perfect midfield behind him to really blossom himself. He's the cherry on top to a team. I don't think he's the solution to a midfield. He's very much, honestly, I don't want to get, I hope you get what I'm saying with this. He very much reminds me of a, of a Gerard. I, I don't think he's, he's not a dictator of play. That, that's not his game. He's not one to play at a tempo. He wants to get forward, score goals and contribute in the final third. I think we keep trying to put him in this category of, yeah, he's a box to box midfielder, but he, he's not, he, he's really not. He, he's not about the work rate. So that's why I say, as good as he is, I think United could actually improve on him where you could get a player who maybe isn't as good as a footballer, but the system, in fact, could could evolve and p- push United further up the ladder. Yeah, well, moving on now, and you look at, okay, sort of the common consensus now is amongst United fans, get rid of Paul Pogba, and the player everyone wants to come to United is Erling Haaland. Now, the piece of glue that sticks these two together is obviously the man we've been talking about, Mino Rayola, and... The circus. The circus absolutely continues because Rayola has been shopping him around Spain, shopping him around Barcelona, Real Madrid has now made comments that he's off to England to shop him around Chelsea, City, United and Liverpool. And um, he's obviously made those comments as well, uh, a, f- a few more comments. And you look at the one regarding Guardiola in the Pogba section saying, I don't do deals with Guardiola, I'm not going to deal with him. So suddenly City are the favourites, but well, they can't be favourites if Rayola's not going to do business with Guardiola. And we've spoken about that with Haaland and saying, as fantastic as he is, he's not really a Pep Guardiola-type player. So City are these favourites, but you have to step back and think, well, maybe they're not really favourites because you can't see that. Um, but I just look at that in terms of the way we've spoken about the circus with Rayola. You look at this arrival in Barcelona. He's there with his dad, um, Alfie Haaland, um, Roy, Keane, Roy Keane's old mate. He's there with Haaland and Rayola at the airport. Now, the way I see that, there's journalists and, photo- and photographers at the airport to take photos of those two. Now, they're not footballers or they're not celebrities. So there's, there's no source saying, okay, the agents are going to be here. The agents are the source. So Rayola has told them that he's going to be there. So Because he knows that's going to create a storm. If he's pictured with Haaland's dad at Barcelona, he knows that's going to create a storm. So he has to- obviously told the journalists, I'm going to be here. Come and take a photo and here's your next story. And I just think this yeah. is... Okay, Haaland is fantastic, and we all want the striker. But just in terms of the situation we've found ourselves in with Paul Pogba, it's not going to go away, this circus. And I just think what Rayola is doing now, you, you say there with Paul Pogba, who was only here a few months before he started sort of exit, sort of rumours of his exit. The same with, with Haaland. Haaland arrived at Dortmund in August. By January, Rayola was shopping him around. 
And I just think, okay, he's fantastic, but like Pogba, it's just not going to be worth it signing early in Ireland. I, I think it's just going to be same old, same old. The difference for me with Haaland, and I agree with you in principle, I think the difference here is Solskjaer. Um, he's got a relationship, a pre-existing relationship, I might add, with the player. He's worked under him before. Um, so I think just from the Solskjaer element, it, I, I, that's the only thing that keeps me thinking it could be worth it. But that's player um, and manager. The, the, the issue is still Rayola. Look, absolutely. But I, I, I don't see Haaland creating the same fuss at Dortmund, he hasn't come out himself. He hasn't said a word, really. He, like, he's let the circus play out around him. But the difference with Haaland as well is he had the release clause in his contract to be triggered for a year's time. So, like, we all knew that Dortmund was being set as a stepping stone um, for, for the Norwegian. So I think the circumstances are a little bit different. Um, if you're, again, if you're looking at it from Haaland's perspective, the agent's doing the right thing. He, he's creating urgency. He's driving his price up because the media attention just naturally, it's going to put clubs in a panic. If you really want Erling Haaland, and, and ultimately, Tom, how many elite strikers are there in European football at the moment? The best striker in the world is well into his 30s in Robert Lewandowski for me. Outside of him, Erling Haaland's probably the next best. You, you've got Harry Kane, obviously, Um who's an elite footballer and you'd put him, probably put him in that bracket above Haaland at the moment, but he's not going for more than or cheaper than 150 million pounds. If you believe reports, sir, Haaland is going to be highly sought after because he's a striker, but I'm in terms of the way he's conducting himself, no complaints from me. Do you say that in terms of the way, okay, Paul Pogba, maybe a little bit more outspoken. Now, obviously he's a bigger figure in world football than Haaland. So there's a lot more cameras in front of his face. But you say Haaland's conducted himself well. It's only Rayola doing their talking. Well, that's that's Haaland. If Rayola's talking, that's that's coming from Haaland. He, Haaland's the client. He's going to be sort of approving everything that comes out. So while okay, he's not out sitting in front of the cameras, actually speaking these words, he's approving them from Rayola. Look, I, I don't like Rayola, mate. Like we don't like Rayola. Obviously, that's why we're discussing it. But. Like, I guess if I were to ask you, you're saying you, you're, it's not worth the headache, but then who would you get as an alternative? United need a striker. Well, that's what, so Vin, what would you do? Vin has sent through a question saying, if not Haaland, because while this is whole circus, it could come down to United just can't afford him. As you say, he might cost 150, 160 million pounds. So if not Haaland, we've seen since the day Solskjaer has arrived, he has wanted a striker. That striker has been proven in terms of, okay, we brought in Agalo on the last day, we brought in Cavani on the last day, both not long-term options. Cavani, Solskjaer definitely wants a long-term striker. Haaland, the footballer, is obviously exactly what he wants. If not Haaland, Vin has asked who. You mentioned, okay, Lewandowski, not get Lewandowski. I think with Haaland maybe potentially not going to Man City, I think people have slept on Lionel Messi to City. I still think that is a possibility no one's talking about. But from United's point of view who is the striker, because while I say Haaland is better than Harry Kane and a better long-term option than Harry Kane, I think Harry Kane would actually cost more. I think Harry Kane could potentially be closer to $200 million in terms of the way you deal with Tottenham Hotspur, and Harry Kane would be next on my list. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Harry Kane is, at the moment, he's a more well-rounded striker than Haaland is. Haaland's very much a get-in-behind the defence and he's a lethal finisher, but for his size, his hold-up game isn't really there. He hasn't, de- and, and that's not to say he won't develop that. He's 20 years of age. 
But Harry Kane is so good, Tom. And, you know, we're, we're talking about United's lack of creativity. Harry Kane's creative as well. We've seen this season, he's got the ability now to drop into the pocket and he's got 13 assists, I think, in all competitions, which is really good for a number nine. He's scoring, he's got over 20 goals. Like, he would be phenomenal for United. But I, I would like Harry Kane. Personally, if I had the choice, I'd actually, I wouldn't mind Harry Kane over Haaland at this point. Haaland's young enough where I think you can still get him later on in his career. He's 20 years of age at the end of the day. Like, you could get Haaland in five years, really. Um, if, if it's not possible, but look, at the end of the day, if you're going to pay the same amount of money for them, you're better off getting Haaland. That's a player who can play for you for the next 10 years. I think Harry Kane's 27, so you'll still get at least... And the good thing about Harry Kane, he doesn't rely on his pace, so he could still give you seven years at the top. Okay, well, we'll quickly go to the other end of the field, and obviously probably a more sort of pressing area for the team instead of the striker is obviously the centre-back issue, and I think it's our most sort of sought-after area. Like We definitely do need a striker, but I think we do need a partner for um, for Harry Maguire. And look, I've said all this time, I think we need a defender. I don't know who. There's no obvious candidate besides, okay, if you had a fit Virgil van Dijk, obviously not getting in from Liverpool. If you had um, Koulibaly was maybe, you know, $50 million cheaper and three or four years younger, he'd be the obvious one. But there's not that name that springs to mind. But there are three names that, look, who knows, they're rumours, but they're just starting to maybe sort of emerge as a little bit of a little bit of concrete in terms of United's interest. That's um, Kunde from Sevilla, Pau Torres from Villarreal, and Milinkovic. I think he is from Fiorentina, if I'm um, if I'm correct. Someone's obviously going to tell me I'm wrong, but I haven't seen anything of Milinkovic. But I've seen a little bit of Torres and Kunde, obviously, from Sevilla and Villarreal. Um, look, I'm not expecting you to be an expert on any of them, but what are you thinking of the noise in and around that centre-back, and I'll just put it out there, I've recently started a save on Football Manager, I sacked Mike Phelan and got Roy Keane in as my assistant manager, As my assistant manager, nothing against Mick Phelan, but um, I just thought I want Roy Keane as my assistant, Roy Keane came in, first order of business was he recommended Paul Torres as my centre-back, I brought him in for about £35 million. I've won my first nine league games and only conceded one goal in the first nine, so um, for me, Paul Torres is the answer. Oh, look, based on football manager alone, I have to agree with you. But in all seriousness, Pal Torres is the one that we're hearing the most noise about. And if you remember when we signed Victor Lindelof, for the, the link started in the January. And it was one of those where you thought, this doesn't really sound like there's a lot of legs to it. But again, he was sort of a no-name player, um, Lindelof. And then we ended up signing him. So from what I, I've only seen um, Torres in glimpses, um, I haven't watched any live football of him, only YouTube. But the, the problem with YouTube is you'll only see the highlights. So I actually couldn't tell you if he's a quick player. I can see he's good on the ball. Um, so, but, so in terms of that, yep, definitely an improvement. Um, he, but yeah, in term, I don't know what he offers in terms of pace. So I'd love it if someone knew or who, someone who watches La Liga could comment on that area. Um, but I think from all reports, that looks like the one that United will do. And I agree with you. I think from what we were talking about earlier, if you get a good defensive partner for Harry Maguire, I think it changes the way United play. You know, in terms of that striker argument, I think there's a, also another perspective you could put forward is if you get a good right winger, maybe you can then get more goals out of an Anthony Martial or a Rashford because the balance of the side is better. So, yeah, I think I think a centre-back is a priority. I think Pal Torres is, seems like the obvious one, but I couldn't comment too much except, look, based on YouTube, he looks fantastic.
No, he looks a Rolls Royce. He looks like a left-footed Rio Ferdinand. But and that is why. And again, no expert. I can't form a sort of proper opinion on him. But from what I have seen, like yourself, just in regards to what the team needs, the way we play out from the back, which is obviously what Solskjaer wants to do. I think having him there next to Harry Maguire, and look, Victor Lindelof's better on the ball than Harry Maguire, or in my opinion he is, but I think we definitely need better players on the ball. And look, Pal Torres has played for Spain, so he's obviously a very technically gifted player, and I just think it would suit the way Solskjaer does want to play out from the back in terms of you know, getting the left, as we've mentioned before, when we're linked with Nathan Ake before he went to City, having that left-sided defender on the left-hand side. It just opens up, it just gives a different avenue in terms of playing out from the back. And again, these three names might change in a couple of weeks' time. Torres might be off to Liverpool or whatever, who knows. But um, they are the three names that are starting to emerge. Again, no, nothing sort of too concrete from the club, but the, these three names aren't going away. So you'd assume there's maybe at least some interest um, in there. Now, somewhere where we hope there is interest, but there is conflicting reports suggesting if we are or if we aren't, is in the centre-defensive midfield, or whether a centre-defensive midfield or the midfield area. Now, a lot of this might depend on, obviously, Paul Bogba's future and the sort of maybe Fred or McTominay, or sorry, Fred or Matic sort of thing. Their futures could potentially be up in the air. But um, James Cooper from Sky Sports, I've got a quote here saying, I don't think anyone like Rice or Ndidi will be possible to bring in the summer. Um, there's no, There's really no chance of signing a defensive midfielder. I think it will be the same like this season. And then you think that's a real kick in the teeth. But then the next day, a report from The Athletic comes out suggesting that Solskjaer is prioritising almost like an elite-level, deep-line playmaker. Now, the obvious name that springs to mind there is sort of someone in the Carrick role, which obviously would be fantastic. And you look at the best teams in the world, they kind of have that player. At the moment, our defensive players are Fred and McTominay in that area who are very sort of physical and it's about breaking up the play where you look at the best teams like a Manchester City where you've got Fernandinho or, or now I think Rodri's very good in that role. It's not a defensive job. It's about starting the play and creating the play, which um, in terms of the way Solskjaer wants to play out from the back, you can understand his thinking in terms of wanting that playmaker in that area of the pitch. However, as I said, the day before, James Cooper said it's going to be impossible to bring in a player in that area of the pitch. So just your thoughts on, one, our need for that area and also what you think the club are going to do. I think it's urgent. I think United need to address that area. They can't go another season with the current midfield. I think if they do, and on top of that, the luring prospect of Pogba potentially exiting, United would have a massive task to stay in the top four because our rivals around us will strengthen as well. And that's important to remember. Um, we discussed it in the Leicester review. You know, Leicester have a better midfield than Manchester United at, at, at the present moment. So... They can't dare to be left behind. And I, I like the prospect of a deep-lying midfielder. I think that's the right move for United. I don't think they need this destroyer-type player. Um, you know, while I, I do like Ndidi, I've got an appreciation, and I'm sure you do as well. Those who are technically good on the ball, the ability to have a player who can split a defense from deep but can also play a simple pass, you know, if you can control the tempo of a game by keeping the ball, which Manchester City do then at the end of the day, a team can't score against you if you're keeping possession. You know what I mean? So that, that's just another form of defense. It's just the defense in possession. Um, I think it would be excellent for United. I think if you're thinking about how United do also like to go attack teams on the transition, if you have that deep-lying playmaker, um, I think it does allow United to be more lethal, both in a counter-attacking sense, but also against 
those teams which we still to this day, and it seems to be a curse since Fergie retired, that deep-lying set defence. Um, so, yeah, I think that'd be fantastic. I'm not too worried about the James Hooper reports. You see conflicting reports with Manchester United every day. It, it creates a headline time. It's international football. It's the time for it. So, Well, speaking of headlines and sort of controversy regarding Man United, before we sort of get into the Brighton preview and just one or two comments from Facebook... This is an interesting one. I just want to get your thoughts in regards to an article. I don't know if it was an article or just a line came out in an interview regarding Edward van der Sar being turned down for the director of football role at United. And it's not so much that, okay, Murto and Darren Fletcher have that role. Let's move forward, whatever. But they're saying the reason van der Sar wasn't given the job, I'm not sure where this quote came from, but it was along the lines of he would have demanded too much success. Now, I look at that and, look, first of all, I think the reason... Um, Van der Sar wasn't appointed our director of football is because he's not a director of football. He's the CEO at Ajax. He's Ed Woodward at Ajax. Okay, so it's a different role. If we were to appoint Edwin van der Sar, everyone moaning would say, well, why are we appointing someone who's never had experience in the role? Because um, Edwin van der Sar hasn't. He's been a CEO, not a director of football. So um, besides that, I just look at this and look, it might it, it wouldn't shock you if this is true in terms of the way the Ed Woodward and the Glazers, the, the way they function, they want everything nice and comfy. So that wouldn't shock you. But I just have to be honest, the way this story has come out, I just think it is complete nonsense. I think it's, especially the language they use, and I just feel it is what will piss United fans off, what will get enough clicks saying this will really frustrate United fans, say he's going to demand too much, he wants to win. Because the moment, the feeling amongst United fans now is we have too many people who are too comfortable, they don't want to go that extra $5 million for a player to guarantee a trophy. They don't want to go spend that extra $60 million on that player because it's too comfy. So how can you get clicks and how can you draw frustration from the United fan bases? say, we didn't get this player, or we didn't get this appointment because he demanded too much? United fans will eat that up. United fans will sort of gravitate towards that and will create clicks, create anger, create conversation, which gets clicks on that person's article. And um, look, just your opinion. So I think the article or the line is complete nonsense. In saying that, like I said, it wouldn't shock me deep down if this is somewhat true at United as well. No, I, I agree with you, mate. I think it's nonsense. Um, I, look, I think the Glazers want success. I just think they want success but are not willing to do everything to obtain that success. Of course, I think if you asked Joel Glazer and you had an hour with him in a room and said, do you want United to win trophies? His answer is going to be yes. But if your question to him was, will you do whatever it means, even if it means United operating at a loss or spending all of United's profits towards transfers, would you do it? I think that's where the answer is different. It'll be about earning that success within a means, within a structure. Um, I don't believe with this commentary to say it's, you know, United hit demand too much success. Mike Phelan was doing a director of football sort of role at the Central Coast Mariners here in Australia. He's then joined Manchester United in an assistant coach capacity. Do you not think Mike Phelan would have shared an interest in that role? I'm sure he, I'm sure he would have put his hand up. I'm sure he's got the skills capable of doing that role. So I can't buy into this narrative that, we wouldn't put Edwin van der Sar into that role. And like you said, Tom, on top of all of that, take everything out of, out of context. He's not a director of football. He's never been a recruiter. He's never overseen the strategy of recruitment for a football club. So why on earth would he go into one of the biggest clubs in world football, definitely the biggest club in England, and demand a director of football position where he's overseeing the recruitment and strategy of United's player development? Absolute nonsense. 
Yeah, no, look, I completely agree with you. But um, look, it's not to say I wouldn't have sort of welcomed Edwin Vendor in some capacity at United um, in terms of the way the football side has turned out in terms of the, the relationship between business and football. You can see a relationship there in Ajax where you, at United, there's the football department and the commercial department and they're two completely different things. So one day it would be good to have Edwin Vendor in that role. But um, yeah, that might be... 10 or 20 years down the track. But um, before we move on, just two or three minutes, just a quick um, couple of Facebook questions thrown in today. A um, little bit off topic, but something a little bit different. So something from George Larry um, has gone, De Gea dropped from Spain. Is that a blow to his United future? But I look at the, the keeper, and again, I don't know how important that game was to Spain, whether it was a friendly or World Cup qualifier. But did you see the mistake from the Spanish keeper? No. Oh, my God. It, look, Day was laughing on the bench. Day was thinking, oh, my God, who have they replaced me with? I don't even know who the goalkeeper is for Spain. But um, do you think that in terms of the situation with De Gea and Henderson, Henderson potentially with sort of a vision to become England's number one, if Dapper De Gea isn't Spain's number one, is that something that's going to influence United's decision? I don't think so. I don't think it really matter. I think United will look to sell De Gea or move him on. That's just in my opinion. It's just a personal feeling. I think with this COVID environment, it will be about creating equity from within your playing squad. So I think De Gea is the most dispensable in the sense, regardless of which side of the debate you sit on with De Gea and Henderson, he is a player who, if you can get him off the books, even at a reduced or no transfer fee, what you'd save in his wages alone could generate enough money to perhaps get a transfer done. So I think that that's where I think United, if they were thinking to get rid of the Spaniard, I think that would be the thought process. It wouldn't be too much around what he's doing internationally. I mean, we saw Michael Carrick. He, he never played for England. He should have been there. So does, you don't really buy into it. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and Ian on Facebook has said the IFT podcast. Um, that's one of our listeners, Rob's podcast. Make sure you go follow them on Twitter. Said they had an interesting debate in regards to Arteta v Solskjaer in terms of success and form. Um, so just yeah, maybe 30 seconds on this because... Look, Arsenal are sort of prevalent in the United discussion the whole time. But we sit here and, look, we've criticised Arsenal. We had a bit of a fun at Arsenal at the start of the season, saying relegation, and they're not going to have to sack Arteta because they're in a relegation battle. The kind of similar jobs, and I, I look at where Arteta is now, and I look at it's very similar situation in regards to the years after. So how many years after Ferguson retired did we have Mourinho come in? Was that four years? I forget. Was it around four years? And how long has Sorry. Arsenal... Three seasons. And how long has Arsene Wenger? Yeah, yeah. How long has Arsene Wenger been gone now? So I think they're almost at that period where we brought in Jose Mourinho, where um, Arteta has come in now, and you look at the job he's doing compared to what Solskjaer is doing, and almost you could almost say on par. However, I do think Solskjaer is doing a better job now. Arteta has in the bank. He obviously has a trophy, but I have to look, agree with what Solskjaer is saying in the past. Say, so, okay, a trophy is fantastic. That's great. But in terms of a vision, in terms of seeing how the club and the team is actually progressing, you do have to look at the league table. And if you do look at the league table, it's night and day who's doing better. Didn't Wigan win an FA Cup when they got relegated hmm. from the Premier League? Yeah. I'm sure the manager got sacked too. So, Yeah, no, look, it's a non-debate for me. However... They're a weird one because as bad as Arsenal have been, I was just looking at the table and look, you get excited when football's returning because we've had no football over the last two weeks. But now you start looking at the table and as bad as Arsenal have been, they're starting to 
creep into a Europa League, it was especially a top half discussion, which was sort of laughed about at the start of the season, but starting to creep into sort of the eighth, ninth, and potentially a good run of form, getting into the Europa League this season, maybe ahead of Liverpool. Oh, I would love that. As much as I hate Arsenal, I love seeing Liverpool fail. Yeah, no. Nah. Um, I don't know who Liverpool have got. Actually, it's Liverpool-Arsenal this week. That's what brought that up. But um, that'll be an interesting game. I think that's on Sunday morning our time. So. Who do you think will win that one? Look, I think Arsenal, and just on that, just um, I think we'll bring it up now, and not to bring a sour subject before the end of the podcast, but I think any football podcast or any football content online does have some type of connection to, sadly, from Arsenal fan TV. Claude passed away. Everyone sort of knew Claude, and um, that was sad news to see that because um, I think he's played a part in every football fan's sort of journey in the last six, seven years. Yeah. Yeah, it was sad news. Um, you know what, look, I watch Arsenal fan TV very sporadically just to have a laugh sometimes more than anything when they lose. Um, but I think Claude's very relatable in the sense he's just, you could see his football club is a major part of his happiness. You know, and I, I think I, I take joy in seeing that love for, for a sporting team, you know, and, and it, it, it's sad because, you know, it always puts life into perspective. Like, you know, football at the end of the day is just 90 minutes every week. It's a game of football and we all have lives well beyond that period. But, you know, look, the circumstances in which he's passed away are tragic. Um, and all I can say is condolences to his friends, his family. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the best tribute we could pay to Claude and fans like Claude is we've all got a little bit of Claude in us, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that is, look, obviously we do want Liverpool to lose. But um, this week in regards to Arsenal, it would be nice maybe to see Arsenal win and maybe just give him one last present. But um, on that, um, Brighton preview. Um, we're going to look back, at we'll do a season review at the end of the season. I don't think this moment gets talked about enough. One of the highlights of the season for me, Bruno Fernandes winning it with a penalty after the full-time whistle. And there was so much frustration after that game. I said, oh, well, so bad. Brighton should have beaten us. This this player was bad. This player was bad. Solskjaer needs to sell this player. or He needs to be sacked. Brighton should have won the game 4-1. I think, yeah, that's fantastic. But it was the moment of the season for me. I thought it was what football was made of. In terms of drama, yeah, it was fantastic. But United, <laughs> that was so bad that, that day. Uh, I think this is potentially a big banana skin, Tom, because... We don't know the status of Marcus Rashford, but he didn't end up playing for England. Martial was slightly injured. He looks like he'll be okay, Martial. Um, They were saying he was a chance of playing for France. I think they played yesterday. And he was close to being fit. So I think Martial will play. Greenwood's apparently gotten injured with England. So Hmm. we're looking pretty thin up top. And Cavani, we don't know what the status is there. There's strong rumours suggesting he'll leave United. And there's, it's been a bit cagey in terms of his fitness. We keep, you know what, Cavani's status reminds you of uh, Lukaku in Australia and Asia um, preseason, where he, we keep hearing, oh, he's got an ankle injury, he's got an ankle injury, but he was on his way out. There's this similar snakes and drabs game with Cavani. We don't know what the status is there, but who knows if he'll play. So United are looking really thin in the attacking areas. Well, just in regards to the attacking areas, and we won't go through the whole team, we'll just wrap it up now. In regards to finding that front three or how we play front four, front three, front two, the first name on the team sheet for me in 
also taken into consideration the international break, but also the last couple of weeks with Man United, the first attacker on the team sheet for me is Daniel James. And why is that? I think he's been in good form. He's obviously goal-scoring form, good goal for Wales, but I think he's sort of performed very well in terms of doing his job and providing an outlet and providing a threat because we've seen Mason Greenwood play very good in recent weeks, but he hasn't looked like scoring. Daniel James is affecting games in regards to direct contributions to goals, whether it be an assist or a goal. Mason scored in his last game, mate. You're being a bit harsh. Did he? What game was that? We played like... And I thought against West Ham, he no, was really was... good as well. No, we lost, lost in the FA Cup. That doesn't, that doesn't count. I think Mason's look good there. Oh, no, no. Um, Greenwood's been fantastic, I think. But in terms of Daniel James, he's playing well and contributing. I, I think he deserves to play. Against a Brighton who's going to sit deep and not really have space to get in behind, though? That's my concern with Dan James. I just I don't think there's another element to his game. I think it's either space or nothing. Well, look, yeah, no, that's not ideal. Ideally, I'd go and have $100 million and buy a better right winger. But at the moment, in the situation we find ourselves in, especially with one or two potential injuries up front, it'd have to be Daniel James for me. Even off the left, you could throw him off the Greenwood off the right if he's fit and Cavani up through the middle, but... It will be interesting. I think it's um, it's four a.m. kickoff on a Monday morning. I think this one. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Public well, holiday. No excuses, Tom. Hope your alarm set. Oh no. Well, that, that that's the one positive. Um, the last couple of Monday morning kickoffs have um, sort of been a little bit tricky with work, but obviously this one is good. And I've just saw we got a good kickoff time against Leeds on the twenty fifth. Unfortunately, the twenty fifth, um, we're not getting the public holiday on the Monday. Unfortunately, so we won't be able to probably go out and watch that. But it is a good kickoff time against Leeds in a few weeks' time, which will be a huge game. But um, until then, Larry, um, that is a Monday game. Do you want to meet up on the pub Monday, or what shape do you think you'll be in that public holiday? Haven't got much plans. I guess I could drink with you. Depending on the result, obviously. I mean, look, if it's a bad result, we can drink till we feel better. And if it's a good result, we can drink because we're happy to. Happy to get the win. So either way, see you at the pub. Yeah, sounds like a plan. And until then, hopefully everyone enjoyed the podcast and has a good weekend before United return and football returns. Um, make sure you subscribe on all your podcast apps and follow on us on social media. And look, you are holding your phone, as we say every week. And if you could just stand that 30 seconds just to give us a review or a rating on your podcast app, it would be very much appreciated. And um, until then, we will chat to you after we beat Brighton on the weekend. Cheers.